And so it was really uh, just kind of a treat to be with our whole family. And then we also got to celebrate uh, my parents' 50th anniversary. And that was a really fun thing. Uh, we saw, James and I saw a lot of people who had influenced our lives because we had this in Idaho. And so the party really was mostly uh, people from Idaho and, and from when we were growing up in Idaho. And so um, interestingly, I uh, saw one of the gals that came was my fourth grade teacher. And you know, it's been like 30 something years um, <laughs> since I've been in fourth grade. And uh, one of the distinguishing uh, features of, of Mrs. Robinson was that she had kind of an orange-red hair that I remember from when I was eight. And believe it or not, she still has red-orange hair. So I, I recognized her right away. And, um, and, you know, I think when you're eight or nine you, uh, that you think everybody's really old and now, you know, she doesn't look that old, and I, you know, because I'm old now. So anyway, um, anyway, but it's nice to be home, and uh, it was fun to see all these people that really had kind of influenced my life over the years. And I think I posted on Facebook that it's always uh, more fun to pack than it is to unpack, right? It's not as fun to get back and have to do the laundry and everything, so... Um, anyway, we're, uh, we're going to be speaking, or we're going to be talking about Ephesians 1, and, and one of the people that uh, influenced my life um, that I saw was one of my Sunday school teachers, and uh, it made me think of, uh, you know, all these years that I've done uh, Sunday school teaching, and when I was living in San Francisco, I didn't even have kids, and I still was involved in the, trying to uh, be a part and teach Sunday school and influence the kids in our church. And um, this particular class I had on the first Sunday, um, I told them we were, I wanted to take a picture of them. And they were elementary school kids, and they, they were like, oh, no, Miss Becky, you know, I don't want my picture taken. And, you know, my hair's not right or, or whatever. And um, they were really resisting my efforts. And I, I, you know, I just said, hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to do this. And we're gonna, I, I want to have a picture of you. And so they asked me, Miss Becky, why are you taking our picture? And I said, so that I can be praying for you. Well, then, of course, after I said that, you know, they wanted me to pray. You know, we, they want us to pray. And uh, they wanted me to take their picture. Everyone feels the need to be prayed for. And I imagine that most people appreciate how great it is to have people pray for them. Even people who have no faith at all, um, maybe your neighbor, maybe you have a, a friend who is, is uh, not following the Lord. While they might not want you to tell them about Jesus, uh, they would be glad to have you pray for them. We're going to take, a, again, a, a look at Ephesians this morning. And 
um, the book of Ephesians emphasizes many themes. One important theme in the first half is prayer. And if you've already read or studied Ephesians, you will notice that in the first three chapters, almost half of the text, Paul is praying. And as you read Ephesians, you find that prayer was an essential to, was essential to and really a guiding force in the way that God related to his people. Uh, many th- kinds of things that we normally pray for, what are those, what are those things? Um, health, maybe stress relief, jobs, maybe um, are a few things that come to my, my mind. I notice that normally the things that I pray for are the circumstances of life. Uh, when we ask people to pray, uh, you know, like what, what can we pray for you about? It's often health is usually top of the list. Um, but in studying these prayers that Paul was praying for the people he was writing to, it dawned on me that I don't pray like that for people. Now, it's not wrong to pray for the circumstantial stuff, health and jobs, but I think as we look at this passage we're going to look at this morning, there's something more that God wants to teach us about prayer and really kind of a whole new level of prayer. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's stand, and we're going to read Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. This is going to be up on the board. Okay, and let's just read this together. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for his belief. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, you can be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me first start with a little introduction to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul opens his letter with a greeting. And if you have your Bibles, um, I'd love it if you could just open them and keep them open to Ephesians as we look briefly here. Um, In verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God 
our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter is addressed to God's holy people. The New King James says, to the saints in Ephesus. But in many of the earliest manuscripts, and if you look in your Bible, it's probably a footnote even, um, there's a blank space where, where Ephesus uh, would appear. And scholars have speculated about this, uh, but it would seem that their best understanding is that this book probably was a circular letter uh, for a number of churches in and around Ephesus. So we can gather from Paul's footnote at the end of Ephesians, where he says, and I think Peter's going to put this up, it's chapter 6, 23 through 24, peace to the, fa- to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is really a letter addressed to all Christians everywhere. You can read it then as the letter of Paul the Apostle to the church in Santa Barbara and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the first part of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, was actually all one long sentence. And Paul starts praising the Lord in this passage for the wonderful things he's doing, and he just can't seem to stop. In our English translations, it's broken up and punctuated so that it's a little easier for us to read. At some point, if you have a chance, um, and you really want to get the full effect of those verses, take a deep breath and read them all together uh, without pausing. You'll gain a real appreciation for just how much meaning Paul is cramming into just that one great sentence. Uh, Again, in this first part of chapter 1, 3 through 14, Paul is praising God for the wonderful things he's doing. And though these verses are presented to us in a single complex sentence, there is actually a very natural, uh, simple way to divide them. And I thought of it as the four Ps. And I think maybe Peter's going to put that, these up. Um, that God's putting together of the body and under that. And that it was planned by the Father that he blessed it and he selected us that it was purchased by the Son who redeemed us by his blood, and, fourthly, that it was preserved by the Spirit. His presence serves as a special seal on our heart and guarantees our eternal inheritance. N.T. Wright, in his book, Paul for Everyone, the Prison Epistles, um, and incidentally, Ephesians is the first of the prison epistles, and then you have Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. Um, Paul's great prayer at the opening of this letter is a celebration of the larger story within which every single Christian story, every story of individual conversion, faith, spiritual life, obedience, and hope is set. Only by understanding and celebrating the larger story can we hope to understand everything that's going on in our smaller stories and so observe God at work and through our lives? I'd like to read a story real quick. Um, This is out of Ray Steadman's book. 
A rich man was in the habit of giving his wife an expensive piece of jewelry every year on her birthday. One year, he might phone the jeweler and say, send me your finest pearl necklace along with your bill, or send me your finest diamond pennant along with your bill, or the finest emerald bracelet or ruby ring. Each time, the jeweler did as the rich man asked, dispatching a messenger to the rich man's mansion to deliver the jewelry piece in a box along with his bill. But every year, the rich man would play a game with the jeweler. He would send the messenger back to the jeweler along with the original box, a note, and a check. The check was always written in the amount of several thousand dollars less than the price on the jeweler's bill. The note would say, sir, I like the jewelry piece, but I do not like the price. If you will accept the enclosed check for a reduced amount, then please return the jewelry box with the seal unbroken. For years, the jeweler put up with the rich man's game, accepting the reduced check and returning the box with the seal unbroken. He still made a profit on the jewelry, even if it was a lower profit than he liked. And at least he was able to keep the rich man's trade year after year. In time, however, the jeweler began to tire of this charade. Finally, the day came when the rich man placed an order for a lavish diamond necklace, and the jeweler decided he would not get chipped again. As usual, the jeweler sent the necklace in a box along with his bill. Again, as usual, the box was returned with a returned with a reduced check for payment and a note. Enough was enough. The jeweler refused the check, kept the box, and sent the messenger away in disgust. When he opened the box to reclaim the necklace, he found that the necklace had been removed. In its place was a check for the entire amount of the jeweler's bill. For years, the rich man had been sending the entire asking price of each jewelry piece, hidden inside the sealed jewelry box. In all that time, the jeweler had accepted thousands of dollars less than he could have received because he didn't open the box and look inside. The hidden riches of Christ are available to you and me to tap into. But to find them, we have to open our Bibles, and it's in there that we find the description of the riches we have in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, we find that Paul's great joy and mission was to unfold to all of us, to unfold all of this for us. So let's look again at the next several verses from our passage that we read earlier. And this is sort of where I'd like to focus us today. Um, following this song of praise, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul turns his focus to the people to whom he's writing. In verses 15 and 16, he writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Even a thousand miles away, uh, Paul's in prison and he is not in the present day where we have cell phones and text messaging. 
Um, but Paul still heard of both the faith and love of the Ephesians. And he starts out this, this passage, this, these verses, for this reason, which refers back to this incredible story of God's love for the people he had created. Through Christ's death, God has bought us out of slavery to sin and placed us in this relationship with himself. And he's inviting us to become part of his larger story. God is taking us toward a sure future of a new heaven and earth where we'll have eternal fellowship with him. And he has given us a little taste of this right now by placing his Holy Spirit within us. It is because of all that that Paul prays for these believers he's trying to minister to and connect with. His prayers start from a thankful heart, and he thanks God specifically for two things. First, he thanks God for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul understands that faith is a much deeper thing than just being saved. Faith is a mark of being a part of the people of God, part of his larger story. So he seems to have a deep and abiding thankfulness that they have come to see who Christ is and place their faith in him, and they've entered into this story of God. Their faith and love were evidence of their participation in this greater story. And secondly, he's thankful for their love for the saints. The real evidence of God's work in us is not the love that we claim to have for him, but our love for his people that others can see. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John 13 34 through 35 says, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we go further in the chapter, essentially, Paul prays specifically three things for the Ephesian believers that they will know God better, that they will under, that they will know God better, that they will understand the big picture of where God's plan is heading and the blessings associated with that, and that they will understand the power that is available to them. Paul is praying for the work of God in their lives and he is pressing them to deepen their relationship with him, to deepen their understanding of him and his purposes, and to deepen their understanding of the things that are available to him, to them. Paul's praying for them at a level that's beyond the circumstances of their lives. He is praying that they will understand God's grand story. And I think that his prayer reflects that he wants God to use those very circumstances to do this deepening work in their life. 
Many of you know that I have a stepson, Tyler, who is now 31. And I think Peter's got a picture of Tyler. This is when he was with the Oakland Raiders. Um, but Tyler had been on a never-ending quest, or so it seemed, to kick in the NFL. And the Raiders were actually his last team. Mark and I got to go watch him play his last game up in Seattle. Uh, but this was a very frustrating process for him. And uh, he rode a lot of roller coaster rides up and down. I think it was with five teams over the course of four summers that he tried to get onto a team. But kind of at the end of this, about five years, um, and Tyler and Jessica were on vacation with us in McCall. And Ty tells Mark and me that he's thinking about, once again, pursuing this NFL dream. And I have to admit that I kind of wanted to just roll my eyes. Uh, we'd been down this road, you know, it was very painful uh, to get the phone calls, you know, that he had been released. And as I sat there listening, all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had spent a lot of years praying that God would allow Ty to make a team and then make it past the preseason and get this full-time job. Um, but the Lord pointed out to me that I was not spending enough time praying that God would use the process of Tyler trying to make a team or not make a team um, to form him into the man that he desires Tyler to be. Okay, Peter, you can take that off. I've realized for myself, and believe me, the Lord's still working on me in this, that I've got to force myself down below the circumstantial level to pray that God will do his work. Part of the problem when you and I stay at that circumstantial level in our prayers is that we often don't see the big picture. Our focus is on somehow managing the surface issues of life. It's sometimes difficult for us to see that God is forming us into the people he wants us to be, and that he's called us to be a part of his kingdom, this kingdom which is moving forward toward a final end for his glory. And God's inviting us to enter into that with him. Paul understands that we need God's help in understanding this larger picture of what he is doing, and so he prays for that. Then in verses 19 through 21, Paul prays one last thing for them. And this actually, uh, the sentence begins in verse 18, but I think Peter's going to put 19 up. But in 18, it starts with, I pray that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We all know what it's like to drop blanket prayers on people and expect that to take care of the situation. For example, we might pray, Bless so-and-so, 
But what does that mean? Uh, it might mean something different to you uh, than it does to me. Um, I'm going to just, I, I have a picture I want to show you, and just a brief example. Um, when Mark and I started writing Mark's Harley, Mark got a Harley about 10 years ago, and part of uh, what we got involved was um, in the bike blessing. And uh, we've been involved in bike blessing yearly for the, probably the past 10 years. Um, and every year we held it at the Santa Barbara Mission. And if you look at this picture, you can kind of see everybody's lined up and the fathers are out and they're blessing the bikes. And everybody's got their engines going and they're rolling through and the father is blessing them. Um, and they, you know, they come because they want to bless their bikes for the coming season. But if you know my husband, Mark, uh, you know that he has a real heart for bikers. And although this was a great event and the bike blessing was, was a, you know, we, we really supported it. Um, he really wanted to have a little bit more of an influence, um, an impact. And so this past June, we kind of changed it up. And we had a bike blessing event. And um, it was a little bit different. And Peter's going to put up the next picture. And instead of having those bikers roll through, um, the, we had several uh, biker ministry groups gathered together, and they broke up into teams. And for each of the uh, guys and gals that were there on their bikes, um, they, they asked them just to go to their bike and that they wanted to come and pray for them. And so instead of just that you know, slow-moving, let, let me bless your bike, you can see that there was some power praying around these guys and these gals. In fact, it was interesting. There were two gals that rolled up with their, just their uh, bikes, their riding bikes, and wanted um, a group of, of, of the black sheep and deacons uh, to go pray over their bikes. And they, the power that they were praying with was not just a bless, but it was an impact, impact the life of this person. And who knows, in the bigger story, um, how each of these men and women were affected. And when we look at this passage, Paul knows these pe people. He knows the, them better. And he knows that there is a danger that they could lose their vision, that they could sink into indifference. They could lose sight of their hope. Yes, they had this sound doctrine, um, but there is a danger that they could fall short of a deep and vibrant experience of knowing Christ. So Paul prays that God will enlighten their hearts so that they may know the hope of God's calling, the riches of their inheritance, and the power of God. I think Paul teaches us that the way we pray is a reflection of our understanding of God and his purposes. It's, it 
it's a circular thing. Uh, the more we understand about God, the more we pray for understand, the more we understand God, uh, the more we pray for understanding of God, because we come to realize the riches in him. But when we have a relationship with God that's superficial, then we tend to pray that way. So our prayer is both a means to deeper understanding and also a reflection of where we are in our walk with God. So we see that Paul's really fired up. And when you read that passage, um, you can tell he's, he's praying with power. And he wants us to understand that God's power is in our life. When you and I came to faith in Christ, our lives were transformed and the Holy Spirit came to live within us. This power of God became a resident in our lives. And Paul stresses that this power is not just an ordinary power. This is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, all the way to the place of total exaltation. That's the power we have in our life. That's the power that we can pray with. Uh, many of you know my parents and um, that I grew up as a PK, a pastor's kid. And I watched my parents live out this beautiful prayer life. In fact, my mom called me, I think, three times this week just to tell me that she was praying for me. And yesterday, uh, I, they, my dad and my mom called to say that they were praying for me. And let me tell you, I've appreciated the constancy of prayers by my parents. In, the, in my college years, I, I drove this little convertible, and I was going to bring a picture. I could not find a picture of that thing, but it was like a skateboard. And um, so I'm sure that in those years, my parents were praying um, that I would not get killed in a car accident. And... Um, and I'm sure they also prayed like most parents pray, please don't let her do something stupid um, that's going to ruin her life. Um, in the case of Mark's mom, Joan, uh, who raised four boys, um, and I am raising uh, three small ones. I started high school with one. Um, but Lord, she prayed, if the boys are out doing something stupid or they're drinking or doing something they shouldn't be doing, would you make them sick as dogs and send them home? Um, seriously, I, I know that my parents, I know Phil and Joan, uh, my in-laws, that, that they were praying, um, in the case of my parents, that, that, they, that I would find the truth. Um, their prayers weren't just that God would protect me and help me get into the right college or the right job or the other circumstantial things. Um, but they were praying for the deeper things, simply uh, praying that God let her know you. And as I've traveled this journey of parenting, like I said, I started with Tyler and Taryn when they were in junior high and high school. Um, I want to pray the same way. Um, just as I prayed for Tyler, that God would form him into the man God wants him to be, I pray for my other kids in the same way, um, that God would be real in their lives and that they would go to him 
in prayer and seek his will in their lives. God's been working on me as I've prepared for today, uh, this calling to a deeper level of fellowship with each other, a deeper knowledge of one another, and out of that, a prayer life that reflects concern for the deeper work of God. So that's what God's calling is to me um, and to us, that we need to care for each other and pray for each other at a deeper level than merely caring for the circumstantial. Not that circumstantial things aren't important. They are. They are important. It's just that we don't want to be satisfied with just that. Let's make it our prayer that God will take us deeper with him and with each other. We have such an opportunity, um, as Rolf said, that we're going to start the sign-ups for growth groups. And we have such an opportunity in, in these groups. Um, and I'd like to challenge us just to go deeper with each other um, this fall as we journey together through the book of Mark. Lastly, uh, I want to stress, as Paul stresses, that the name of Jesus is greater than any name that is named. Jesus is head of the church, and Paul tells us that the power of Christ has been visible through his church. Look at verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The only place this kind of power is ever going to manifest is in you and me, in the midst of our pressures and problems. God's power is the power to be patient in maddening situations, right? It's the power to love a person who may be irritating the socks off of you. <laughs> uh, it's the power to be joyful in the midst of suffering and stress. It's the power to be thankful in the midst of scarcity. That's what Paul is talking about here at the end, the power to live as God intended us to live. It's the power to bring life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, joy out of sorrow, and beauty out of ashes. Paul doesn't imagine that we as Christians will automatically be able to recognize, as I said, the power of God. And it will take, as he says in verse 17, a fresh gift of wisdom, of coming to see things people don't normally see. And this, in turn, will come about through knowing Jesus and having what Paul calls the eyes of your inmost self opened to God's light. My prayer for us is that we see it, believe it, and that we act on it. And that those around you and I will see God's power flowing through us as we boldly take on the challenges of our daily lives and step out and pray beyond what we can see and know. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this prayer of Paul will become true for us, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that these words would not be empty not just phrases that we repeat because we see them here in the New Testament, 
but that these words would come alive in us today. Lord, we also thank you for the encouragement that if we will step out even a little bit, that our lives will be enriched. We are so grateful for this amazing power, the power that is within us that brings life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, joy out of sorrow, and beauty out of ashes. Lord, I pray that we will understand all of this and live by it and act on it.